we are continuing our study through 1 Samuel uh, this morning. We'll spend uh, this week on 1 Samuel chapter 11. Next week is 1 Samuel chapter 12. And then uh, just before Christmas, we're going to shift from 1 uh, Samuel to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be studying Mark uh, from East, uh, Christmas all the way through Easter. And uh, before I read this passage from uh, 1 Samuel 11, let me just give uh, a brief summary of where we are in the story of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel uh, tells the story about the first kings in Israel back in the 11th century uh, B.C. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking about how Saul became the first king in Israel. And uh, this passage describes Saul as the, the new first king of Israel, his first military victory. So uh, it's a promising start to his reign that, that does not last long as a promising reign, but this at least was a, a promising reign. And so we're going to look at all of 1 Samuel 11 together, and so you can follow along right there in your bulletin. This is God's word. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh uh, said to him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was uh, coming from the fields behind the oxen, and Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they uh, came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of uh, Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said uh, to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites, until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. So Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that you brought us here to, uh, to worship you and to hear from you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak to us. And as we take these words from, from the, the book of Samuel, and uh, would you connect them to, to our hearts and our lives and our relationship with you? And would we hear about the grace of our Savior, Jesus? Um, we long for his coming again. And um, so be our teacher, enlighten our minds. Uh, give us faith as we, that we would trust in the words of grace you speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are in the second uh, Sunday of Advent. Advent is the, the four Sundays leading up uh, to Christmas. And you might not th- think on the surface this passage I just read to you is a very Christmassy passage with people's eyes are going to be gouged out, and it's kind of a gory, uh, gory image. But uh, the word Advent means uh, the arrival of uh, an important event or an important person. And, uh, and Christmas is about the re- arrival of God as the true king of the world, who's come as the infant Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, who has come as the savior of the world. And, well, in this passage, Saul, he too is the king, of Israel, the anointed one, and he becomes a savior in this passage. You, you see what it says there in verse 13. The Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And so Saul, the king in this passage, is a picture or a preview of uh, the savior Jesus who would come so many centuries uh, later on Christmas morning. And as we look at Saul in this passage... There's one quality in the king in this passage that is the same quality that we see in the King Jesus. And that's the quality of grace. Grace is the defining quality of this passage. And salvation in the Bible is always by grace. It is a free gift. It's undeserved. It's unearned. And that's why, what do we do on Christmas? We give gifts to each other. Why do we do that? Because Christmas is about grace. It's about free gifts that are given to us, undeserved, and they're just gifts of love. And that's who Jesus was, God's gift to us. That's what salvation is, is God's gift to us, the gift of grace. And so today we're going to talk about grace. What does 1 Samuel have to teach us about grace? And um, I want to point out four truths about grace from this passage. And And this is what they are. That grace is undeserved salvation. Grace is wrath against evil. Grace is the covering of shame, and grace is a community of mercy. Four truths about grace. The grace is undeserved salvation, wrath against evil, the covering of shame, and a community of mercy. And this, this is an important topic for us as a church. You know, if the core values of Christ Church Bellingham, the number one core value is grace. Grace is what we want to define the atmosphere of our church. Grace is how we want you to understand your relationship to God. Grace is the, just the, the, the nature of our relationships with one another. And so it's so important that we hear over and over again, tell me again, tell me again about the grace of God. And so today we hear again about God's grace. So four points this morning. And the first is this, is that grace is undeserved salvation. Grace is undeserved salvation. And, and that might not be obvious in this passage, but you'll notice how the passage begins in verse 1. 
how it says, Then Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. Now, to understand this story a little, uh, we'll need, you need some geography and some history behind that, that verse. And the land of Israel in the Old Testament was divided by the Jordan River that ran north and south. And so the tribes were, some were on the west. Most of the tribes of Israel were on the west of the Jordan's River. And then there were some on the east. And Jabesh Gilead was a town that was on the east side. And the Ammonites were also on the east side of Israel. And so the, the land of Gilead would often get attacks from the Ammonites who, who uh, were, were coming from the east. And uh, Jabesh Gilead is mentioned a couple of times in the book of Judges, which is uh, the book before uh, uh, 1 Samuel. And in Judges chapter 11, the Ammonites are attacking Gilead, just like they are in this passage. And so the people in Gilead go and ask the other tribes of Israel, hey, will you help us fight against our enemies? And no one comes to help them. And so Jephthah, the, the judge, comes and rescues the, the people of Gilead. Um, but more importantly, later in Judges, it tells about a terrible crime that is done uh, in the land of Benjamin where uh, uh, a concubine is brutally killed. And all of the tribes of Israel form this army to bring justice against this terrible act that was done in the land of Benjamin. And all of the tribes come to bring justice except for one town in the whole of Israel. You know what that one town is? Jabesh Gilead. It's the one town that wouldn't come. And so Jabesh Gilead is now being besieged by the, the Ammonites, and they are at odds with the rest of the tribes of Israel. So if there is an undeserving people in the history of Israel, it is this town, Jabesh Gilead. And that's the background that makes sense of this opening paragraph that I just read. You see in the second part of verse 1 where it says, And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite, and we will, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. Now here's this Ammonite ruler who's just come into Jabesh Gilead, besieging them. And they say, hey, will you give us a week to see if we can gather an army to fight against you? And the, he says, yeah, I'll give you a week. Why? Why would he give them a week to go find an army so he can fight against them? He must know that the people of Israel hate them. He knows the history. You didn't help them when they needed help. They didn't help you when you needed help. And it's just going to add to your shame when you go and ask for a Savior and no one comes and helps you and we wipe you out. And yet, it is these undeserving people that God's King and God's salvation comes to. Because where do the people of Jabesh Gilead send their messengers for help? Verse 4. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul... They go to the newly anointed king, and he comes and rescues them. They think maybe the king will come and save us, and he does. Grace is undeserved salvation. And that's why I say Saul's kingdom here is a preview of the greater kingdom that would come in Jesus, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. And that's what you read about in, 
in the Gospels, is what happens when Jesus comes is the undeserving flock to Jesus. They're attracted and they say, maybe the anointed king will accept us, will embrace us and welcome us in. And that is who we are. Even if you are Jabesh Gilead in your history, is selfishness and cowardice that has ruined your relationships, there is hope for you. Grace is for the undeserving. Now, some of you might hear that and you say, okay, undeserved love is beautiful. I love that that's what God's kingdom is about in the Bible. But this passage doesn't sound like a passage of grace. I mean, the Ammonites are going to get killed. There's battle and there's warfare. This passage doesn't sound like grace uh, to us. Well, that leads to our second point, is that first, grace is undeserved salvation, that Jabesh Gilead is being rescued, the one people who don't deserve to be saved. But the second is that grace is wrath against evil. Grace is wrath against evil. And, you know, it's common for people to, to read the Bible and say, it feels like the God of the Bible has kind of two faces to him. Sometimes he's God of judgment, God of wrath, and then sometimes he's a God of grace. And you, maybe you wonder in your own life, I don't know which I'm going to get. It's almost like there are these two personalities, and I hope I get the loving and the gracious God. But actually, God's grace and his wrath always go together. And it makes sense when you realize that why does God's wrath come to people. It's because he's protecting the weak. God's wrath is protecting people who cannot protect themselves. And that's why God's wrath is always grace. It has to be grace. And you'll notice that that in this passage, it begins in this passage where it says, then Nahash the Ammonite, and uh, uh, his name, Nahash, means a serpent. So here's a guy who, in the Bible, whose name is Serpent, which if you're a Bible reader, you know that's not a good sign if your name is Serpent. Because all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, we know that the enemy of humanity is the serpent. And actually the first word of grace that's spoken in the Bible is that God says, there's going to be a man born of a woman who's going to crush the serpent, crush the enemy. God's wrath. The word of grace is a word of wrath all at once. And apparently uh, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, adds a little comment about verse 1 here and tells some more about Nahash and what was happening with him, that he had actually not just come to this one town, but he'd gone through the whole, uh, to all the tribes east of the Jordan and had gouged out everyone's eyes. And this was the last town that was left where he was going to gouge out their eyes. So this guy is going through a whole region gouging out eyes, and you think, this is crazy wickedness. How does God... React to crazy, wicked evil. Well, in this passage, the message about Nahash comes to Saul. And what happens? Verse 6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. When the Spirit of God comes upon someone in the face of great evil, the Spirit of God stirs anger about that evil. Grace has to include wrath against evil. I mean, is God just going to be like fine with all the evil in the world? This is why when you read in the Bible, uh, 
in the Psalms, there's all these oppressed people and they'll sing these Psalms about God's judgment and they're like, oh, we can't wait for God's judgment. When God comes to judge, we're going to feast and clap our hands and sing and dance. And you say, why are you singing and dancing? Because God's judgment is coming. Because God's judgment is going to set you free. He's going to free you from your oppressors. And so many people in our day say that they don't believe in a God of wrath. How could there not be a God of wrath? There are unimaginable evils that have happen in this world, and is God not going to be angry about them? Are you not going to be angry about those unimaginable evils? Do you want God to not be angry? There are unimaginable evils that have happened to some of you. And it is a mercy to you to know that God is angry about that evil. That is grace. Grace assures you that God is not indifferent to the evil that you've endured. And if God is truly good, he will be a God of gracious wrath and wrathful grace. And so it, it makes sense that uh, God would be angry at evil. But one of the challenges with that truth is that we have to face that God is, is if God is angry with evil, the Bible also tells us that evil is in all of us. Of course, that's where some of the fear of his uh, wrath and judgments it's not just against evil out there, but what about the evil that's within us? And, well, that's the, uh, our third point speaks to that. And so what we've seen so far is that grace is first undeserved salvation to the people of Jabesh. The people that didn't deserve salvation, God sent his anointed king there. And that grace is wrath against evil. God protects the weak. The third thing we see in this passage is that grace is the covering of shame. Grace is the covering of shame. And in our culture, we're, we're very aware of the effects of, of shame uh, in our lives. And uh, Dan Allender, uh, who's a um, uh, psychologist, has pointed out that we, we have to deal with both legitimate shame in our life. Legitimate shame is shame for sins that we've done. We've done things that we're shameful of, and we should be ashamed of them because they were wrong. We also have illegitimate shame. In our life, and that usually comes from people who've wronged us. Other people sin, and then we carry shame for things that they've done done to us. And I want to point out how both of those aspects of shame are present in this passage. And so the first thing we see is that grace covers our legitimate shame. There are things we should be legitimately shameful of, and grace covers that. And we've already talked about how Jabesh Gilead has this shameful history among the, uh, the people of Israel. That they didn't deserve help. And what does God give to these people? Well, Saul, the king, hears about it and he gathers an army. And then this is what it says in verse 9. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. And when the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. I feel like that is a little weak. You know, you're going to have your eyes gouged out, and now you're not. And like, we were glad. You know, I get to keep my right eye. No, they were deeply relieved. They are so joyful that a Savior is coming to them. And the, the news comes through these messengers. They're bringing a message of good news, the message of salvation. This is a small picture of what God is doing in every nation right now. We live in a world filled with people who have done shameful things to hurt other people and to dishonor God. And he sent out messengers. He sent you all out 
He's sending you all out into Whatcom County. He sent people to you to tell you this message that salvation is coming to you. Your shameful things that you have done has not kept God away, has not kept the anointed king away. He is coming to you. And when you know this truth, the people of Jabesh Gilead show us that the response is joy. There's nothing that takes joy away more than shame. The good news of grace is the thing that relieves the shame and starts to stir joy within us, relief and peace. So first, grace, through the preaching of the gospel, covers our legitimate shame. But second, we also see that grace covers our illegitimate shame. And illegitimate shame is the shame that comes from other people's wrongs that they have done to us. And when Nahash uh, came to threaten the people of Jabesh, a shame was really at the heart of his intentions with them. And you see those gruesome words in verse 2 where it says, But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. And the gouging out of right eyes really had two effects. The first is, that when you gouge out someone's right, a man's right eye, the men would have been the warriors in, in, that, in that culture. And, it, and by only gouging out the right eye, it allows them to still work so they can give crops to Nahash. But they lose their depth perception, so they can't fight in the battles. So he has uh, these people who can't fight against him, but they, they can be enslaved by him and work for him. But even more than that, he says that his purpose was to bring disgrace They're going to walk around with these marred faces, a mark of what he had done to them. And the shame that we face in our lives is a mixture of these things, of things that we've done, but also wrongs that people have done to us that have wounded us. And these are often wounds that we carry with us throughout our lives. And the shame that we experience, it often feels as irreparable as an eye that's been gouged out. I can't imagine anything, and I feel like I wear it. And and everyone sees it on me everywhere that I go. In this passage, the people of Jabesh are spared their disgrace, and it's by the protection of the anointed king. You are not different. Where is the relief for your shame? It is from the anointed king. It's the one who came on Christmas. He came to take away the shame for what you've done, but also for the things that have been done to you. It can be taken away. If you felt worthless, I'm dirty, I'm ugly because of things that have been said to me or that have been done to me. You need to experience the grace and love of Jesus who embraces you and comes to you as a savior. And how does he do that? Well, he comes first by being angry about the evil. It's his wrath that shows, wow, he is not okay with it. But I think we see another way that he covers our shame. And uh, that's by bringing us into the community of the church. Because, you know, often we're hurt by people close to us. We need new relationships. We need new love. We need a new community that God, if God is going to heal us. And that's the final point that we see in this passage. Is we see that grace is undeserved salvation. We don't deserve it. We are that one city that doesn't deserve a Savior and the Savior sent to us. And grace is wrath against evil. God is not okay with the evil that is done to us and to his people in the world. And grace is the covering of the shame, both the things that we have done and things that others have done to us. But finally, grace is a community of mercy. 
Grace is a community of mercy. And so, how does, and so how this story goes is that the people of Jabesh ask Saul for help, and he does help them. He comes and he makes a plan, and, and he ambushes the Ammonites, and they're all scattered. But you'll notice that after the battle, it says there in verse 12, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Now, this is a reference to the previous chapter that went at Paul's, uh, Saul's coronation when he was becoming king. It said that there were some worthless fellows who said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. So at his coronation, there's a group of men who say, he's not going to be our king. He can't save us. And so they don't give him their allegiance. And already at the very beginning, day one of his kingdom, there is a rebellion that is forming of people who are not with Saul. But then in this very next chapter, Saul proves that he can save them and he will save them. And so how does the anointed one respond to this rebellion that's forming in his kingdom? Here's the king. It's his first judicial act. And they said, hey, these guys turned against you. You just showed how powerful you are. What are you going to do with them? What is his bent? Well, verse 13 shows us. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. His first impulse is mercy. At his coronation, Israel was divided, and he knows that mercy forms community. Mercy brings his people together. And what happens when he makes this act of mercy? Well, you see the unity here in verse 14 where it says, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel, all the men, including the worthless fellows, rejoiced greatly. Mercy creates community, and it's in community that God heals us. And this is what, exactly what Jesus is doing in his kingdom today. We all by nature resist his kingdom. We have the spirit of rebellion in us. And what does he say to those of us who are, you know, tempted towards rebellion? Does he say, you resist me, I'm going to put you to death? No, he's patient with us. He shows mercy to us. And his mercy has brought us into his family, has adopted us into his family as his children. And then every week as his king, he gathers us together and he gives us this meal and at this meal, we re renew our allegiance to the king. The kingdom is renewed, just like it says here. We say, King Jesus, we belong to you. We believe in your kingdom. And he says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace never runs out. You're going to never need to stop hearing about it. You're going to need to hear about it. You're going to need to receive it every week. You need it every day. You live by grace. That's the nature of his kingdom. That's the quality of his kingdom. And he gives us a grace that's undeserved salvation. He says, I know you're that little town that didn't deserve the anointed one to come to you. I'm going to come to you. And he says, I know you need to know that I'm angry about the wrongs that have done to you. And you can grieve the wrongs because I'm angry. And there's a day that will come that I will wipe away every tear and there will be no, wrong, no more wrongs. And my grace will cover your shame. The shame that haunts you, that you feel like you wear like a gouged out eye. 
I will heal and I will take away. And it's a grace that will draw you into community. And so today we may, re- uh, may we rejoice like the people of Jabesh Gilead that our king does not deal with us according to our sin, but he deals with us according to his grace, his love. And so we say, tell me about it again, over and over. Tell me again about the grace of Jesus. That is my life. That is my joy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what good news that over and over again through the many pages of Scripture, we hear rehearsed over and over the word of grace, the kingdom of grace. Lord, we long to know your grace. And Lord, um, you know those of us here who feel that we are the undeserving, who feel the evil and brokenness in the world and how it's affected us, who feel the shame that haunts us. Lord Jesus, the anointed one, would you go to each one of us, come with your salvation. May we know that it's free. May we know that we don't have to work for it or earn it, but just receive it and rejoice. And so, Lord, as we in Advent anticipate and wait for your coming, and in Christmas, as we worship the the child, Jesus, who, who came as the Savior of the world, may you fill us with wonder and peace and love as we rejoice in your grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand and...